Ahoy there, me mateys. It be me, Captain Chessbeard. And this be a very special voyage of the Tuesday Night Podcast. For it be Halloween. <laughs> it be time to take our annual journey on this here ship of terror as we hear several stories from other individuals associated with this here podcast. Without further ado, shall we weigh anchor, raise the mizzens, and set the spooky sails on this episode of the Tuesday Night Spooktacular Podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the spooky, Tuesday, terrifying night podcast. I'm your host, Alan Gearding. And this is the podcast all about the stories we make while playing the games we tell on, around, and even under the gaming table. And in tonight's terrifying episode, we will hear different stories from three individuals. Three, indeed. First up is some stories from Ed Baraff. This is a gentleman that will be on the next episode. He currently has a Kickstarter going on for Skulk Hollow. Check it out on Kickstarter. Let's talk about Edo from Pencil First Games and from Gaming with Edo, his YouTube channel, as he tells our first series of tantalizing tales entitled Edo's Travels. Untold. (laughs) Happy Halloween. So two crazy things happened to me on this trip to South America. My brother was in college. I was a senior. He was studying abroad in Chile. And Chile is this crazy country that's got huge mountains and, and water and desert and volcanoes, like every kind of environment biome you can imagine. But anyway, two crazy things happened on that trip. One was we're climbing up this volcano. It was a dormant volcano. It was four o'clock or three o'clock and we wanted to go check it out and hike up. And they were like, well, you know, you got to get back before dark just because it's crazy. And this is like the wilderness, but here's the path you guys can head up. And so my brother and I are, are heading up the mountain just to be clear, like we're already like in the mountains and we're just heading up higher into the mountains. We're like heading up and it's like taking a while and it's just like this long, windy, it was a pretty vertical, but still a hike, not a climb. And finally, we get halfway or something and we like sort of get to a clearing and we, get, we sort of assess that we're really not there where we're going to be out of time. So my brother's like, well, why don't we like not stay on the path anymore? and just go up through the brush. We'll have to climb a little bit, but like, it'll save us time. Very tropical environment. Not like predator jungle, but like, you know, still 
Anyway, we're climbing, climbing, climbing. I'm reaching up around, and I reach up onto a rock face. We're like in plants. We're like moving through plants. We're in the bush. And put my hand down directly next to it, and I saw it. There's this spider, size of my hand if not bigger, full-on, hairy, giant spider. And it just scared... I just was, like, terrified and just started running, took off. Scampering up and away and... My brother doesn't know what's going on and I'm just bolting. So he bolts, right? Half a mile later, like, stop and breathe and I explain what happened and then we got to the volcano top. And for, like, context for anyone in this chili, like, if I recall, it's like a volcano lake thing. It was pretty spectacular. And then uh, the other part of the terrifying thing is it did take longer and we did finish the second half in the dark. That was not a good experience either, because that was just like hiking down in the jungle in the dark with all the jungle noises, everything crackling everywhere. Motion all around you of all different weights and sizes. Every inch of this place has some sort of living thing moving, doing its own living thing thing. The other story, which actually in recollection was actually in Panama, not Chile, we're on a dinghy to go onto a waterfall. No signage. This was like in some far off town in Panama. The hike leader is taking me and my brother up. And we, you know, we got to like cross ladders and climb rocks and waterfalls hitting us. And we sort of get all the way back up. And that was great. We got this great view. And then we're heading down and we get back to like one of the waterfalls. And he, and you know, this was like a, I don't know, 20, 30, maybe 30 foot jump. Uh, and he's basically like, okay, we got to jump down now. Why can't we take the like ropey ladder thing? He's like, oh no, but you see, I had to drop it back down for the next person to like latch back up. The way this part of the trip goes, you jump. <laughs> I've, I've actually probably jumped off a few high things, but this is way higher than I've jumped off before. But the crazy part, you come to the ledge, and again, this isn't in English. <laughs> he's basically like, Okay, so you see the rocks over here, but then you see those like dark shapes in the water? That's all shallow rocks. So you have to land in this square area, this like diamond space between all that stuff, 10 feet out. You need to jump off this really high level and actually hit the firefighters with the net area. Like you have to hit, you have to hit it or you're gonna break your legs. What? The, what? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> that was pretty terrifying. And we made it. I was doing business for Disney in India.
I got picked up at the airport and the guy has a helmet and he comes over and he picks me up. We walk outside, he's got a, a motorcycle. Okay, and then he like gets on and he like gestures to the little padded back on the motorcycle. And he's sort of like, get on. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like what? And he's like, yeah, get on. Uh, do you have an extra helmet? And he's like, no. And then just a little little rectangle, right? And so I get on, and I'm not like gonna wrap my hands. I I, I probably should have in retrospect, but like I wasn't like I'm gonna wrap my hands around this guy's waist. I don't even know who this is. It's another country. Like I don't even know what culture is appropriate. So I just put my hands like on the sides of the seat underneath my butt, right? And then in my head, I'm like, oh, you know, he's just gonna like maybe this is a block away. Like maybe we're just gonna like peter around the corner and get there, and he just doesn't want to walk. It turns into this 25-minute, 40 to 50 mile per hour, every sort of visual stereotype of like crazy India traffic jam, like pushing through like you've ever seen. And that was the longest piece of terrified I've ever been. Just absolutely gripping as hard as I can, bouncing off with my butt popping off. I'm, I'm gonna die. Like, uh, this is, I'm going to fall and I'm going to, that was terrifying too. Here we are. Thank you very much. Tip. That was Ed Baraf, Edo if you will. Now, we're going to get a little bit more supernatural. Because for the rest of the episode, I'm going to turn to some stories from... The B-Team. Ooh. Boo. And starting off is Dungeon Master Greg, as he shares the story of the dollhouse. <laughs> Take it away, Greg. So, my spooky story for October... It starts when my husband and I bought the house that we're living in now. When we first toured the house, the couple that lived here before were a little odd. When we toured the house the first time, in the backyard she had three witches' cauldrons. That is what she called them. One of the rooms upstairs was completely filled with dolls. And not like just sitting around. There were piles of dolls lying down with blankets over them so you really couldn't see them. They looked like about a hundred little corpses. Except every once in a while they hadn't quite covered them all up so you'd see this little baby doll head. Just staring at you as you opened the door. Once they moved in and our mandate was that they take everything that they have out of this house, uh, we began to clean everything up. And one of the first things we did was we took down the bird feeder that they had planted in the backyard, to which they had attached half of a doll with barbed wire around the bird feeder. So when you looked at it, it was a birdhouse with a barbed wire baby stuck to it. So we took that down immediately and started to work on the house. We were fixing the entire upstairs. We decided to make one of the smaller rooms our temporary bedroom. 
while we did all the necessary work to strip everything down and take everything out and just change the house so that it's our house and not their house. The door to that particular bedroom stuck every time. If you closed the door, you couldn't get it open again unless you pounded near the top. And with that pound, the door would pop on open and you could gain access to the bedrooms, which was very nice. It gave that layer of safety thinking, well, if anybody breaks in, they're going to make a lot of noise breaking into our bedroom and we'll be prepared. One night, we went to bed, and at 2.30 in the morning, there was a... As the door to the bedroom flew open at 2.30 in the middle of the night, and our first reaction, how we had been trained as children was to dive under the covers and just wait. And we waited. And about 30 seconds, I stuck my head out of the covers to see the door to the bedroom hanging wide open. And then next to me came this small little child's voice saying, What's going on? I turned quickly to see that it had been my husband, still clutched under the blanket, whispering in the quietest little voice, What's going on? Who's here? But there wasn't anybody there. There wasn't anybody in the house. So we shut the door, went back to sleep. Oh, Dungeon Master Greg, you do know how to tell a tale. I wonder, is the dollhouse still the same house in which you live? Hmm, interesting. But so far our stories haven't had any true death in them, just scares or near-death experiences. But let's get death, Thanatos if you will, for... We are now going to turn it to B-Team Will. Will, please, tell us your tales for Halloween in this last segment entitled Murders in the Nearborhood. Oh, nearborhood, it's like neighborhood, but near. Oh my. Alan Girding, most of the time, is... A blathering fool doesn't have very much intelligent to say, but much like a clock stopped is right two times a day, Alan can occasionally come out with some bit of wisdom or intelligence. And one of the things that he frequently tells people, many people have a, a superpower that is unique to them, something that makes them special and notable, but is, is very uncommon. It's not your run-of-the-mill, ordinary way of going about your life. And Alan likes to think that I have revealed mine to him. And I will say, he's wrong. Because what I've led him to believe is nowhere near, in fact, the truth. 
you were to ask my mother, most people in my family, what my mysterious superpower is, they'd say, anytime that I'm walking down the street, anywhere in a mall, who knows, out in public, people will stop and ask me for directions. Doesn't matter. Happens almost on a daily basis. Out of a crowd of people, doesn't matter how big the headphones I may have on my head, folks will just interrupt me and ask me for directions. Usually I know where they're trying to get to and kind enough to give them correct directions, but that's not quite it either. What I've told Alan and what he's seen in action is that people with mental disturbance tend to be attracted to me, tend to follow me, tend to to find me, seek me out in public locations, but I think that's more smoke, mirrors, and happenstance. I just tend to put myself in those situations where those things may be. But the truth of the matter, and this is really the only time to be honest about this, is my superpower or super circumstance is throughout the majority of my young adult and adult life, I've been followed by murder. Not in the sense of people being murdered in front of me or me being involved in murder, but always very proximate to murders that are happening, have happened. Think one of the most well-known for national, international listenership of this particular podcast would be the Lululemon murders. Murder, actually, just one person was killed. Back in uh, March 11th, 2011, Friday night, Bethesda, Maryland. For those of you that do or do not know, I live in Washington, D.C., and I work in technology. I use a lot of Apple computers. Just always been a big Apple user for quite a while now. And that Friday night, March 11th, 2011, nine days after my birthday, I went to the Apple store on Bethesda Avenue in Bethesda, Maryland. I don't remember what I was trying to buy. Could have been uh, software or something, maybe a new computer for myself. Who knows? It's unremarkable at this point in time. But the fact is, I was in that Apple store on the night of the Lululemon murder, and the Apple store is exactly next door to the Lululemon where the murder occurred. I was in the Apple store while the murder was going on, as I found through time and everything. Uh, The Apple store stayed open a little later than Lululemon, and, and I was there. Went out for dinner, actually, on the other side of Lululemon. There was a restaurant that specialized in mozzarella cheese or something, as far as I can recall. That's how I spent that night. Definitely the most notable, or one of the most notable, murders that I've been adjacent to, you might say. Also, further back in time, had the pleasure, working at Georgetown University, used to walk to work every day. I live about a mile and a half north of Georgetown, and I was trying to lose weight. 
So I would walk down Wisconsin Avenue. And on, uh, I believe it was Monday, July 7th, 1997. So I'd been working at Georgetown for a little over a year at that point, 24 years old. I walked past the Starbucks that is just north of our street on Wisconsin Avenue. And I believe I actually, if I can recall that morning appropriately, stopped in at the Bagel restaurant that used to be across the street. I know there used to be a Pizza Hut over there, right by the Safeway, and uh, stopped in. What I didn't know was that there were three dead bodies in the Starbucks across the street, and those were discovered on that Monday morning when they went to open up. Why I always remember this particular circumstance is I had intended to go to the Starbucks to get my breakfast that day, but I was actually early for work, and they weren't open yet. But the bagel restaurant was. Other, maybe less notable murders in my life, but certainly more gruesome, was the day uh, when I was 14 years old. Eighth grade, looking at 1987, when the torso, and I believe the head as well, of a woman was discovered by one of my brother's friends in his backyard. Lived down the street from us, literally a block and a half down the street from us. Our street came to a dead end, and his yard was on the other side of the dead end. And He woke up one morning, looked out the window, and there you go. Uh, If you want to read it in the newspaper, uh, the first paragraph, the nude torso of a strangled and stabbed woman was found in a road in Port Chester Saturday, and her arms and legs were discovered in two other Westchester towns, officials said. Yes. Pieces of this woman were found all over Westchester County, uh, I believe, uh, One of her legs was found in Yonkers, and another leg and her arms were found by the reservoir that's up by White Plains, New York. So that was one of my earlier murders, but I think the one that started it all off, possibly the most bizarre of all of them, was the murder of my brother. stepbrother, however you might want to call it, Kenneth Anderson. Also, uh, this was all the way back in 1984, February 2nd, 1984. So I was still 10 years old. My brother, who at that time would have been 21, was murdered by the ex-husband of a woman that he was dating. And apparently, this man had a history of violence that uh, he kept well hidden. Well, not from his wife. Very interesting story. If you ever want to look it up, um, you can probably search for Kenneth Anderson and Thomas Milligan. Uh, The most interesting part of the story is just that there was so much revealed that this man had been stealing guns but had also won Man of the Year in 1979, so he kept a very good public face. 
and uh, a very dark home life, one might say. But yes, killed my brother, killed his wife, and one of the most interesting parts of the story, besides the fact that the man was so disturbing, after the murders were committed, he had driven his car onto the Tapanzi Bridge, which is a very large, long bridge that goes across the Hudson River. He drove his car there and parked it, but a lot of people did not believe that he had actually killed himself and that he just did that as a ruse. That's how devious and crafty this man was, but eventually his body was found in the Hudson River way back in the 80s. So those are just some of the murders that have been adjacent to my life. There have been others, less remarkable, less interesting to tell of. And we'll see, as I'm looking to move out of Washington, D.C., what will happen in the next location that I move to, and what murders I'll happen to be adjacent to again. Well, that's all the time we have for this annual adventure of Halloween tales from those involved in the gaming community, specifically with this podcast. Keep in mind, we are sponsored by The Game Crafter, so do yourself a solid. If you want to make yourself a scary game, check out Game Crafter, and I recommend getting This House is Haunted. It's flawed, but it will give you an unforgettable experience on The Game Crafter. Think you can do better than This House is Haunted? Well, then, I recommend you make your own terrifying game. How do you do that? Why, use thegamecrafter.com. But enough shilling. Have a great Halloween, everyone. Trick or treat. Follow us at PlayTKG on all the social media and write us in your own terrifying tales, if you will. Your Knave Tonight submissions would be fantastic. Send them to podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. Thank you all so much. And with that said, this Halloween spectacular is... Finished. <laughs> Still under the weather. Don't get murdered by hanging out with Will too much. Damn, I I hang out with Will. Uh Uh-oh.